Amen. Christmas is about so much more than just a baby in a manger. And Christianity is about so much more than just placing our faith and trust in a Savior. That's just the beginning point. That's not we're supposed to, where things are supposed to end. It's where uh, Jesus steps in and becomes a part of our everyday life. As we look this morning and we consider, I realize that uh, there are times in life that are very difficult. We look at uh, just our lives in World Small Church, and we've had uh, a little boy in our ministry that was diagnosed just this past week with a tumor in the center of his brain. Uh, we had a dear member, Brother Bill Tullis, that went home to be with the Lord on Friday. I just learned that this morning, just before uh, the service started. And we uh, have seen a lot of folks that have traveled over even this holiday season so that they could uh, go and be with family one last time as they say goodbye to a home place where they uh, have buried the last parent over the last several weeks. And uh, life sometimes is just hard. Uh, I got a call on or actually, Brother David here got a call on uh, the other day. We were we were getting things ready for Thanksgiving. I think it was on Wednesday afternoon from Pastor over uh, with the explosion, the chemical plant. And this dear young lady here was dislodged for a couple of days as well. Uh, and folks had to the day of before and the night before Thanksgiving had to just drop everything, pack up, and get out of town. And uh, I'm telling you, sometimes life is just makes you wonder if there's uh, any hope left. It's things just get hard. I. Uh, uh, think about this text this morning and what Joseph is going through. But before we get to Joseph, consider the nation. They're in a period uh, of about 400 years of spiritual darkness. This has not uh, just been a typical time or it's not a typical year in Israel's history. Uh, they have gone through a time where they've enjoyed the prophets, but then they've rebelled against God and they have found themselves in exile. Uh, and now they've been going through a period for several generations again where God has been silent. He has not spoken. There has been no uh, prophetic revelation. There has been uh, no one really standing, and it's just been silent. You know, sometimes heaven is silent, but generally speaking, when heaven has grown silent, whenever he begins to speak again, it means great transition and great power and great a great moving of God. Uh, in our midst. And, and that's where we come to. He begins this book by giving a genealogy to prove that Jesus has the right to Israel's throne. Uh, he'll give it from the other side of the family in Luke, proving that uh, not only is Jesus the rightful heir to David's throne from Joseph, but also from Mary. Uh, and he is uh, the Messiah that has been promised. There are great promises that have been given, but they've not been sounded in some time. And uh, I I'm just here this morning as we begin this series of messages on hope to talk about the promise of hope. Because at this point in Israel's history, that's all that it really is. It's just a promise. It hasn't come to fruition. Uh, the child has not been born. Uh, the, there are a lot of things that they believe because they have, uh, they've been taught. It's been passed down by tradition. They have some uh, of the Word of God written and it's spoken to them. They know the book of Isaiah. Uh, it's preached from. It's spoken of in their synagogues. They've got uh, a reason to reflect. But really at this point, it's just it's a promise. It's a promise of hope, a promise of uh, things to come. And so when we look here, at now the birth of Jesus Christ in verse 18 was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So physically, 
it was impossible uh, for her to be pregnant, to be with child. It was not uh, anything uh, that anyone would have an explanation for. It was something that Joseph uh, would look at his young espoused wife and think uh, that she would uh, think always think the worst. What else would he think? I mean, you put yourself in his shoes and uh, dealing with what he's dealing with, and there's no reason uh, that anyone would think that anything different. But uh, but she is chased. She has not betrayed him. She has not uh, betrayed God. She has not been uh, unrighteous. She has uh, maintained her uh, her purity, and she is now uh, just going along, serving God, doing the things that have been ordained for her life. But she's with child. It's a miraculous conception. It is something that uh, is supernatural, uh, and it had to be in order for the Scripture to be fulfilled. And we'll see that uh, in a moment. But what we consider this morning and as we get started, I want us to understand the importance of that. Because without a virgin birth, there is no salvation. Without the virgin birth, the cross means nothing. Without the virgin birth, the resurrection would mean nothing. And the miracle of Jesus did not begin when he died on the cross. It begins as he is willing to leave his place at the right hand of God in heaven and to be robed in human flesh and to walk among us uh, on this earth. And so the story of Jesus' birth uh, is a story of a miraculous conception. It's also miraculous in the sense of Joseph's response. What man would respond in this way? I mean, initially, he is thinking of putting her away, but he's not doing so maliciously. There's uh, the consideration, but and surely he would have been doubt and maybe even experienced some anger. But there's no anger expressed here. There's only uh, a, a wanting to do right by her, to not shame her, to do things and the things that he felt had to be done privately. Not only that, we see the miracle of God's presence in his life. That tells us some things about Joseph as a young man who, who knew God, who knew uh, the truth of God's word and what had been, uh, had been promised. He was uh, someone that we would call today in our uh, vernacular a man of faith. And faith is what the Christian life is all about. It's been about faith since Abraham. It's been about faith all throughout uh, the history of, of mankind. We do not come to God and we are not reconciled for, to God and freed from our sins because of our actions, but we are because of our faith in the one who has paid the price uh, to redeem us to God himself. So what is this faith and what is hope? The Bible tells us and defines for us uh, hope or faith rather in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 when he says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is not blind, there's evidence. Faith is the substance of of things hoped for. So we have to understand this morning when we talk about the Christian life, we're talking about uh, that we have faith in God. We have hope in a risen Savior, in the miraculous power of God because of what's taken place throughout the Scripture. It's the substance of things hoped for. So hope can be defined simply as this. It is the desire of some good accompanied by the expectation of obtaining it. So when we talk about hope, we're not talking about uh, something that we have no expectation that it will come to pass. Uh, for example, a lot of times when we throw around the word hope uh, loosely, oftentimes, but uh, when we when we talk about, you know, and I hope somebody comes along and gives me a million dollars. 
I don't really have any expectation of that. Uh, there, there's not, I mean, it would be wonderful if it happened, but uh, if it did happen, my wife would probably have to spend it on my funeral because I'd probably have a heart attack and die right there on the spot. Uh, and so it, it's just not something that uh, I really, uh, I could say, well, you know, I hope and I hope this. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is having a hope that something that has been promised will be delivered. Uh, we have been promised a savior. They have been promised Messiah. They have been promised uh, that he would come in a miraculous way. Uh, they had been promised that God uh, would uh, would come to them and be with them and that he would uh, make a way of salvation for them. Now, hope is the desire of some good accompanied by the expectation of obtaining it. And they firmly believed and had every expectation that God would keep his word. My hope this morning of eternal life is not based upon uh, some uh, random theory or uh, convenient logic. It is based upon uh, the fact that I have seen God move enough uh, and I have seen God work enough and experienced God speaking to me in my own heart and life and as well as the lives of others that I have every expectation that God will deliver that which he has promised. We have that hope this morning. Faith is simply this. It is the belief uh, at the ascent of the mind to the truth of what is declared by another resting on his authority and veracity without other evidence. So when we talk about faith, what we're saying is, is that I am placing my trust in God based upon his authority and ability to perform it. Not based upon my own. And his word is enough. And true faith comes to the place where we say, you know what, this is what God has said. And that's the end of the discussion. I don't have to make it make sense. I don't have to come to a full understanding of it. There is no scientific explanation for this virgin birth. There is no scientific explanation for a resurrected Savior. There is no scientific explanation for many of the things that God does in life. But God said that he would do it and he's done it. Yeah. I can trust him. And I don't need uh, for it to be verified because I can trust him to do what he said he's going to do. And we're going to look at that a little bit deeper this morning as well. Joseph, a man of faith, knew that God had promised Messiah. There was no doubt in his mind that God had promised that this rule of Rome would not last forever, that their isolation from God, that this period of darkness in their lives would not be something that would always be. Uh, and he finds himself now uh, in the middle of God beginning to bring to pass this promise. And that's really where he's at here in his journey. He is going through life and he's in love with Mary and he's making plans for their wedding. And all of a sudden things are interrupted by the fact that she has been, uh, that she is carrying a child. And as he begins to uh, try to make sense of that, God comes to him in a dream and tells him, hey, this is of me. She has not betrayed you. This is, I have chosen her and I have chosen you. And really, we focus a lot about how important it is that, and how special it is that God chose Mary. But it's no less, uh, it's of no less importance that God chose Joseph. 
Joseph would be the one to protect that child in its innocency. He would be the one to provide. He would be the one to care for. He would be the one to teach Jesus how to, as a boy, to be a carpenter and the skills that he would use throughout his earthly ministry uh, in human form. Joseph, a man of faith, finds himself in the middle of God keeping a promise. The promise that Messiah would come. The promise that a miracle would take place. And if we stood where he stood, would we believe that God had chosen us to be a part of something so miraculous? I think I'd find it difficult. And so he's going through his life and now meets with God. And he realizes that since the fall of man, this has been the plan. This has been uh, what God uh, has set forth and is intended to do. Uh, since the Garden of Eden, this has been necessary. Romans chapter 5 and verse, uh, beginning in verse 12 tells us, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but, uh, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and in the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all unto men unto the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Death and sin came because of the sin of one man and righteousness and salvation to be imputed to us. That hope of eternal life, that hope of forgiveness, that hope of a life in Christ who's given by one man, a free gift from God. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22, uh, the Bible says, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And what we see in this text this morning is that we see that the beginning of the process of man's reconciliation to God. Sin came by Adam. Man is born in condemnation, but salvation comes by Jesus. And he begins that here in this time, in this place, uh, in uh, this uh, manger to come uh, in short order. And it's coming and they believe it because it's a promise of God. How do I believe that, Pastor? That doesn't make any logical sense. That doesn't uh, resonate with the human mind. That doesn't, I can't comprehend that. Faith is not to be comprehended. God is to be believed. 
If I want to grow in faith, if you if you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, man, I want to believe that. I wish I could believe that, but I'm just not there yet. Just stay in the word of God. Just keep learning and reading because so by faith cometh faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If I cannot wrap my mind around this, if I cannot accept this, it's only because I lack faith. Where will I get it? I get it from him and I can trust him. And as we look at Joseph and how his life is designed, we experience how could Joseph believe this? How could he buy this story? How could he believe this angel coming to him in a dream? And I I believe it's what is expressed in Titus uh, chapter 1 and verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God promised. Before the world even began, God promised that if I, as I create man, man will be reconciled to me. There will be a mechanism. There will be a way. There is a promise of hope. There is a promise in our hopelessness that Jesus is coming. There is a promise in our hopelessness that our sin can be forgiven. There is a promise in our hopelessness. And if if we've given up, that we can be restored and that we can be redeemed, that we can be made something profitable in the hand of God. And so three things about this promise of hope that I want us to consider this morning. And the first thing is this, is that it is a promise. uh, It is a prophetic promise. This promise of hope this morning is a prophetic promise. It is not a promise that was just made up out of convenience uh, to disguise uh, Mary's pregnancy. It is something that had been promised hundreds of years earlier uh, by the prophet Isaiah. It is something that they would have all been very familiar with, a text uh, that they would have known well. And we see uh, two primary things about this. First, uh, that the promise of God's presence is given prophetically. The promise of his presence. Notice in verse uh, 22 of Matthew uh, chapter 1. Now all this was done uh, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying. Behold the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel which is being interpreted God with us. God hasn't been with them for 400 years. God has been silent for 400 years. They know the promise. They cling to it and they know what the prophet has said. And then we see in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, as he considers that the promise of God's presence has been given, that I'm just telling you this morning, that if you're lonely, if you're disheartened, if you haven't heard God, if you haven't felt God's presence in a while, that God's promise has been given to you that God's presence is available to you and it's promised by God in Isaiah chapter 7 uh, and verse number 14 he says therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name God with us Emmanuel God is with you We don't have to go through life alone. We don't have to wonder uh, how we're going to make sense of things because we are uh, have the capacity to come to him uh, in faith. The story of Jesus' birth is uh, is told in the magnitude of what his life would become. Uh, Even what we've yet to see uh, come to fruition uh, at this time in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 when it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon 
upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There is no doubt that God has told us prophetically of not only his presence being with us, but of of the promise of a supernatural birth. How will man know? How will we understand that this is the one child that's been chosen? And the answer is the sign was the virgin birth. Why be surprised when they find themselves in the middle of the story, in the middle of the deliverance of God's promise? Now, they know what the, what the prophet has, uh, has given. Uh, and we see two thoughts about this supernatural birth that provided for us, first of all, a supernatural Savior. A supernatural Savior. He is not man as you and I. He is God. Though he put on humanity and though uh, he was all man, he never relinquished his godhood. He is man. He is God. He walked among us. He was in all points tempted as we are and yet without sin. He knows what it's like to be hungry and to be cold. He knows what it's like to thirst. He knows what it's like to be alone. He knows what it's like to be attacked. He knows what it's like uh, to uh, to uh, be shunned. He, he understands everything uh, that we would possibly ever experience and go through in this life because he faced it. Why? Because he is a supernatural savior. He is not someone to be trifled with. He is not someone to be doubted. He is the one and only fulfiller of God's promise. No one else can reach the criteria. No one else is born without a sin nature. No one else has lived their life and never committed a sin and betrayed God. No one else uh, has ever uh, stood and given himself and sacrificed for our sin. No one else rose from a grave. No one else descended into Hades and Sheol and uh, and returned uh, with the lead captivity captive. No one else came and emerged with the keys of death and hell. No one else has conquered and given us the power to be more than conquerors as we serve him and grow in his grace. He is a supernatural savior. Not only does he a supernatural savior, but he provided us with a supernatural salvation. Salvation is not about you and it's not about me. It's not about what I can do and it's not about what you can do. And it's not about what the church says or what the church says is or isn't. It's not about uh, what one uh, element of uh, some faith dictates or another. It is simply what God has done in Jesus Christ that makes salvation supernaturally available to you and to I. Listen, uh, we have great power in God and God loves us enough that he was willing to sacrifice Jesus. But at the moment uh, of salvation, when we... uh, come to him and when we experience him notice what he says uh, happens in John's gospel uh, in chapter number one uh, and in verse number 12 or in verse number 11 he came unto his own and his own received him not but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name listen we sit here and I stand here this morning not, not as sinners condemned to hell but sinners who have in our condemnation found 
found the one that God promised to give eternal life, who is a supernatural savior, who gives a supernatural birth into his family. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, something miraculous happened, something supernatural happened, and the spirit that was dead within me was born into the family of God. I am not here this morning a son of God uh, that is just a son of God in name only, but we are sons and daughters of God who have been born into his family and who have consequently been adopted into his family. We are part of his family. We can never be disinherited. Why? Because we have a supernatural God who's given us a supernatural salvation and your goodness and my goodness and the world's goodness or badness has nothing to do with my position in Christ. When I realized I was in a condemned state and I put my faith and trust in the one that promised that he would give eternal life, then I became a son of God. It is a prophetic promise. We see not only this morning that it's a prophetic promise, but we see secondly that it's a powerful promise. Notice in verse number 21, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 and verse 23, we see the power of this promise. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. In verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Two thoughts here this morning. First of all, we see that this is a promise to free us from sin's punishment. We spoke of that uh, as, I, as I read John chapter 1 and verses, uh, verses 11 and 12 or 12 and 13. We have been set free from sin's punishment. One of the great things about salvation is that uh, that we in John chapter 3 and verse 17 tells us that we were condemned. We were born condemned. We didn't have to do sin. We didn't have to be bad. We didn't have to uh, make a mistake to uh, be sinners. We were born sinners. That's who and what we are. That's uh, that's that's just the natural state of man. But God gave us a promise that we would be set free or could be set free from the punishment of that sin. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We're saved by grace. We're saved by through faith, putting and accepting the grace of God by placing our faith and trust in him. And here we see that his grace is rich. There is no shortage of his grace. There is no uh, missing grace. It is all that is necessary uh, is provided for us in Acts chapter number 26 and uh, verse number 18. Acts chapter number 26 and verse uh, number 18. Uh, we see the scripture tells us this to open their eyes uh, and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. We have this morning a powerful promise. A promise that we have been set free from the punishment of sin. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we accept him as our own personal Lord and Savior, that our sins are forgiven and we're birthed into his family. And as we come uh, and go through life with him, that we do so uh, under that promise of freedom from the punishment of sin. Never more do I have to fear waking up after this life in the torment of hell. I can go to sleep assured that when I leave this body, that I will come into the presence of my Savior.
Why? Because he said so. Because Jesus paid the price. Because there was a miraculous birth. Because there was a prophetic promise that was fulfilled. Because that promise was not only prophetic, but it was powerful. And in its power, it gave me freedom from sin's punishment. But praise the Lord, it did not just free me from the punishment of sin, but it, it was a promise to free me from sin's power. We do not have to live under the control and under the bondage of sin. We do not have to live under the control and the bondage of bitterness or anger. We don't have to live under the bondage and control uh, of addiction. We don't have to live under the bondage and the control uh, of our own will. We have the power through Jesus Christ to live free in Him through the power of His grace and the salvation that He's provided. Far too many people experience salvation only on the level of forgiveness for their sins and never understand the joy that comes from serving Jesus freely when we've been freed from its bonds. Romans chapter 8 and verses 1 through 6 says, there, therefore, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace and listen friends when Jesus Christ became your savior when you put your faith and trust in him he said that he made us a new creation a new creature in Christ he did not intend for us to just just go back to the way that we were. He expects for us and he has empowered us to live a new life under his authority and with his power to conquer the sin that has conquered us, not just free from its punishment, but free from its power to dominate our lives. We can rise up more than conquerors in Christ and win the victory and glorify our God. We see this morning that we have here in Matthew chapter number one, a prophetic promise. We see that we have here a powerful promise. We see lastly this morning that it's a personal promise. It's not a promise to the masses. It's a promise to you. It's not a promise to the unknown. It's a promise to me. To every person, it is an individual promise. Jesus wants to save the world, yes. But I can't make that decision for anyone but me. I can't choose him for anyone but me. And I see in verse number 20, the personal touch that God plays in even helping those uh, that are uh, that involved as Joseph was. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. A personal promise. And I'm saying to you this morning that the promise that Jesus has made to us, the promise that God has given to us is not a flippant promise. It is not uh, a random promise that it is specific and it is powerful and it is personal. It's personal. He loves you. 
regardless of what you think of anyone else around you in the room or in your life or across the world, Jesus loves you. And he promised that he would come. And he promised to make salvation available. And he promised that he could make us his children. A personal promise. We see that everyone has to give an account for themselves. I can't give an account for anyone else. I can't give an account for my adult children. I can't give an account for my wife. I can't give an account for uh, my church members. I have to give an account for me. Romans chapter uh, number 14 uh, and verses 11 and 12 uh, tell us, For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Everyone's knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Satan will confess that Jesus is his Lord and God. Uh, the, uh, the atheist will confess that Jesus is Lord and God. The agnostic uh, will confess that Jesus is Lord and God. And him that cannot lie has promised. And what God has promised will come to pass. I, I'm, and we have the ability and we have been blessed with the grace of God to come to understand this principle now. To receive him as our savior. To surrender our life to him. Because whether I yield my life to him in this life or not when I stand before him. I will. Everyone will. His will will be done. What we see here is that this personal promise is that everyone must give an account of themselves. Listen, uh, God is not going to hear uh, that it's that person's fault. Or I became this way because of this happened in my life. Uh, Or I did this because that pastor did this. Or that church did this. Or uh, that individual did this. Or my family did this. Or my mom or my dad uh, failed me in this way. Listen, none of that matters. None of that will be taken into account. When we stand before God, the answer that we will give will be for ourself and ourself alone. And we can blame shift and we can try to justify our own sin and our own bitterness and our own anger and our own petulance all we want to. But the reality is, is that we have to come to the realization that God gave us a personal promise and that promise was given to the, with the understanding that we realize that we must give an account for our own life when we stand before God. That promise also mandates that everyone must come to Jesus. Romans chapter 10 and beginning in verse number 8. The Bible says, But what saith it, the word is is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone must come to Jesus. Everyone must confess. Everyone must put their faith in him. The third thing we see here in this personal promise is not only must everyone give an account of himself, not only must everyone choose Jesus freely of their own will, but we see uh, in John chapter 6 that those who come will not be cast out. Those who come will not be brushed aside. In John chapter 6 and uh, verse number 27, 
The Bible tells us, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. And we come this morning realizing that we may be in a hopeless state, but we are and may be in a helpless state, but in the midst of our hopelessness and our helplessness, we realize that there is a God in heaven that's looked down and offered hope. A God that's looked down and said, here is some hope. I'm promising you hope. I'm giving you the promise that Jesus will come. I'm giving you the promise that he will be with you. I'm giving you the promise that he will that he will pay the sin debt. All that's been accomplished. I give you the promise that he'll rise from the grave. It's accomplished. I give you the promise uh, that he'll walk with you through this life, that the Holy Spirit will indwell you. And we're enjoying that now. But he gives us a promise that he'll come again. He gives us a promise that he'll reign on this earth. He gives us the promise that when we go in, into eternity that we'll be forever with him it's a promise of hope it's a prophetic promise it's a powerful promise it's a personal promise he made it to you he made it to me so we close this morning we see that herein is hope herein is hope when we look and we understand that God who cannot lie promised how do you know, Pastor, that Jesus is the Son of God? How do you know that He was virgin born? How do you know that He gave His, his life and spilt His blood for you? How do you know that He rose from the grave? How do you know that all these other things are going to come to pass? Well, I know because I trust the one who said it would happen. I trust Him. I've chosen to put my faith and trust in God. And if I believe that and I believe His word, then I can go to these things and I can say that God who cannot lie, promised. That's prophetic. I look and I say that the promise of a new birth and new life to those who believe is supernatural. A new birth. I was born and you were born naturally. Our mothers gave birth to us. We were uh, conceived in the natural process of life, but not Jesus. We came to be and with supernatural power, God caused Mary to conceive. And with supernatural power, God gives eternal life to those who believe. That's powerful. As we look this morning, we see that God has promised that everyone who believes, everyone who calls on his name, has eternal life. Everyone. That's personal. He is your personal or wants to be your personal savior. He is offering you this morning supernatural life. And he told us about it before we were ever thought about on this earth. It's a prophetic hope. It's a powerful hope. And it's a personal hope. And he is a prophetic, powerful and personal God that wants to be a part of your life.